If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is page 984 in your pew Bible. That is in front of you if you would like. So I broke my arm. The doctors tell me that it seems to be holding its position well, and if that's still the case tomorrow, I get to get a cast, which is very nice. A little inconvenient. Uh, it's, it, you know, this is a strange thing to worship and try to get this up. Uh, let's just give up and go one-handed here. Typing has been a little bit of a challenge, so I know there's some typos in your notes. I've seen some already. Nobody told me about anything indecent, which is good. Uh, when I was typing up the notes last night, I was writing the word hoping, and I forgot the P or missed the P with the one hand, so it was hoeing. And I thought, I don't know what singing has to do with hoeing. I was just glad I hadn't hit the R instead of the P. So if you find something in here, give me a little bit of grace and overlook it. We are in a series about training for godliness. Let's go ahead and read this verse together. Train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We've considered several things in terms of training for godliness. It's the start of a new year. Our culture around us says, let's make New Year's resolutions. Let's determine to do better. And so as a church, we say, hey, let's leverage this opportunity and talk about training ourselves to walk with God and to live before God. And we've considered several different things. And this morning, we're going to consider singing. Singing as an aspect of training yourself to grow in grace, to follow the Lord, to grow in what He intends for you. And so I've entitled this message, Singing Stretches for the Soul, because stretching is an integral part of exercising. And there's something about singing that when you lift up your voice and you sing out loud, something in the lungs expand and something in the heart expands and in the soul expands as well. And there's something that grows in you and stretches out and unlimbers and shakes off some rust, so to speak. And you gain a flexibility of heart before God to where the temptations that you may find yourself in, the challenges that may oppose you, the circumstances that may be um, needing your attention, they they, they come more easily. They are able to be addressed with confidence, with faith, because in singing you have stretched and unloosened the muscles of your soul and are pliant before God. And so singing, they are like stretching of the soul, stretches for the soul. There are, I believe, three key components in Scripture for living the Christian life as a Christian. The first is being gospel-focused. And coming into this book and realizing this is a story that points to Jesus. It's not a rule book to tell you how to live your life, but it is a book that points to a massive story all accumulating in the story of Jesus living on your behalf and learning to preach the gospel to yourself is being gospel-focused. Being spirit-formed is learning to walk with a, a conversational and intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Hearing Him, knowing God, sensing His presence, speaking with Him, And this is being spirit-formed. And the last one is being praise-filled. And these are the only mountains that, frankly, I'm worth, that I think are worth dying for. Being gospel-focused, spirit-formed, and praise-filled. But this idea of being praise-filled, of giving of thanks, and of singing of songs to God is integral to you as a Christian and to your life. And I hope to show you that this morning. Now, 
I'm going to tell you right off the bat that I only have one goal this morning. There are so many verses that have to do with singing. There are over 300 verses that just talk about singing and songs, and over 75 of them just in the Psalms alone, in the songs that talk about singing. My only goal this morning is to overwhelm you. That's it. I have no other goal. I don't really, I'll make a few points, but I don't care if you forget them all. I want to read to you in support of these points, verse after verse after verse after verse, because I think God values singing more than we realize. Well, let's start with a thought first, and that's this. When we look at our current contemporary society, we see that there's reflections found in the mirror of culture. The reflections found in the mirror of culture. Singing used to be a more popular form of expression and living. There, many movies had singing. They were musicals or they had songs as a part of them. The actors and the actresses would sing. Our society would sing. There was campfires that would sing. You would go to people's houses and sing. You had churches that would sing on much uh, more, more than even just one day a week. Singing was a more popular form of living. It was more accepted. But that has changed. The heroes that sung became for us heroes that were tough and street smart and gritty and real and raw. And they stopped singing. I think the best illustration of this is Clint Eastwood, to be honest with you. Clint Eastwood, who we know from the tough westerns and uh, every which way but loose and bare knuckle fighting and dirty hairy and saying, go ahead, make my day. And he's got his scowl and the cigar hanging out the side of his mouth. But it wasn't too long before those films in Paint Your Wagon that he sang a song called Talking to the Trees. <laughs> Even tough guys like Clint Eastwood used to sing. Our culture used to sing. But now the stars are tough. There is a little bit of resurgence taking place in our culture with the competitions, singing competitions. There's, there's got to be a dozen of them on television. And this is the pursuit of stardom and, uh, through singing. And so there's a little bit of recovery of this. And what I find interesting in it is that even the scriptures talk about when God speaks to Job, he says to Job, where were you in the days when the stars sang? When the stars sang, and, and he's talking about the ancient belief that the stars were angelic beings. And he's taking Job back before the creation of even the earth in the very beginning of creation. And the angels were made, these great, powerful, spiritual beings, and they sang. Where were you, Job? So it's not an accident that stars and light and greatness and singing are all wound up together. But our culture has been in a shift. When we come to the scriptures, we find a lot more said about singing than we realize. So much so, I think that we find a startling emphasis. That when we come to the scriptures and singing, and look to what the scriptures have to say, what God has to say about singing, we find a startling emphasis in the Bible. And I want to go over that emphasis with you. We find that it's first found in this. Creation is singing. Creation is singing. All of what we do here in a church, and we realize we just sang and everything, is founded on this, that all of creation sings. Let me read to you a few of the scriptures. I already noted in Job, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you, Job? Psalm 66, and all the earth sing, worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Psalm 96, let the field exult. 
and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Psalm 98, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. And Isaiah 55, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Julie Andrews was not wrong. The hills are alive with music. That is the scripture that God made creation and it is throbbing with praise. The ancients believed. Medieval theology taught that there were spirits connected to the planets and that if you were able to go into space and take off the spacesuit and, and survive, you would hear, they called it the music of the spheres. The music of the planets as they turn and hurtle their way through space, galaxies twisting and spinning, they believed that in space there was music. And I think they were reflecting something more theological than scientific, but what they were reflecting was this idea that inbred into creation is a throbbing of praise and of worship and of singing. So much so that the trees and fields, it sounds like it's a Tolkien movie in which everything is alive and talking to one another. But God says that the earth is singing. Creation is singing. And that's a little bit startling for us. But it's upon that foundation then that we get to the second that there is congregational singing littered all the way through Scripture. There has always been singing amongst the nations, and we'll look at a few of those, but singing for the Israelites, for God's chosen people, formally began with David the king, in which he says that he organized and put together a host of musicians and singers and whatnot. Let me read you some scriptures. First Chronicles 9. Now these the singers, the heads of fathers' houses of the Levites, were in the chambers of the temple, free from other service. It meant they got paid, for they were on duty day and night. First Chronicles 25. The number of them, along with their brothers who were trained in singing to the Lord, all who were skillful, was 288. It wasn't just everybody singing, but these were the ones skillful in singing to conduct public worship before God. Psalm 149, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. And this is the Old Testament, and they would gather together the corporate worship and the covenant-keeping Israel, and He says, sing as you gather together. And this, this is what is taken up for you and I as we gather together as a covenant community, covenanted with God, with one another. We are the assembly of God, the assembly of the firstborn, it says in Scripture, and we are called to sing. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. We're told to sing out loud. The idea here is David says, I, I look around in the assembly. You can look around in our assembly. And you see people who will just be standing there. Now sometimes they're listening to the music. But something is happening that it is sometimes difficult to sing. And David says, sing out loud. It's, it's not, we're not talking today about songs in your head and having a, a melody in your, in your head. That, that, that's a legitimate thing too. We're not talking about ta listening to Christian radio here. We're talking about actually lifting your voice and singing out loud. Scripture says that you ought to do this in the congregation. And what's so startling about that, these singers, the 288, the ones skillfully trained, there were the priests... There were the kings, there was the singers, and the Old Testament imagery of the people of God put together in the, in the temple there. 
Well, in the New Testament, in, in the New Covenant, when, when those shadows are pushed away and reality comes, that God says, you and I are priests. Just like there was a select few that got to go into the temple, now all the people of God get to approach God personally and directly. And you and I, it says, are a kings, are a kingdom of priests. And I think by the same logic, you and I are the singers in the temple. You and I are called to be singers in worship in the congregation. Well, not only is there congregational singing, but there is, I've called it closet singing, just like a keep a see. Uh, you've heard of closet drinking, but we're talking about closet singing. Uh, the old theologians used to talk about uh, in devotions of singing in your devotions. In fact, not only would they perhaps sing hymns, but you know what they would do? They would go through the Psalms, starting at Psalm 1 and work their way through, and they would sing a psalm each morning. This is what they put in, uh, Lewis Bailey writes in The Practice of Godly, Henry Scudderness, The Godly Life. These are the old theologians writing instruction manuals for their congregation, saying, here's how to walk with God. And they all included this component, go and sing by yourself. Go and sing in your closet. Just like prayer has a public component, a public prayer, and prayer has a private component, and they're not the same. If you go and pray in a group, you're going to pray one way. And if you pray privately by yourself, you're going to pray a little differently. That's just the way prayer is. In the same way, singing. There's singing in the congregation like we did this morning. And there's singing in your closet privately to God. Whether you sing a hymn or whether you just sing and make up your own melody and sing the Psalms. It's as meant to be something for your own soul. Psalm 98.5 says, Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre with the lyre and the sound of melody. These are not meant to be in the congregation because those were the skillful ones trained. David is saying, everybody, pick up some instrument and sing. Psalm 149, let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. He's anticipating that you will have times in which there's nobody else around and you will sing. You will sing to God with no one else around. Closet singing. There's also, in Scripture, we find an emphasis on continuous singing. Continuous singing. If this was prayer, we would say that verse that says, pray without ceasing. Well, there's a similar idea to sing without ceasing. God expects you and I to be constantly singing. Psalm 96, uh, Psalm 61.8, excuse me. So, will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day by day? Psalm 84, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Psalm 104, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. Psalm 42, by day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Psalm 77, I said, let me remember my song in the night, let me meditate in my heart. When he says his song in the night, it may not even actually be that he's thinking of a particular song. It's probably he's talking about God, that God is his song. And he ever wants to be thinking and singing to God as his song. There is something that God puts before you as a call in training to be godly, training to live a victorious Christian life, training to live an enduring, faith-filled, Christ-exalting Christian life that you would be singing continuously. 
always singing. I don't think that means necessarily that when you're in the grocery store, everybody has to leave aisle seven because you're lifting up your voice. I don't think necessarily that's the right way to think about it, but I think it's not too far off. And that's a little uncomforting or discomforting. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Continuous singing. The last one is this. There's an emphasis in Scripture on circumstantial singing. Singing in the midst of circumstances is singing as a result of certain things happening in your life. The first mention of singing in the, in the Scriptures is, is mentioned in Exodus 15 when the Israelites have been delivered from Egypt and from bondage and slavery. And they're delivered through the Red Sea. And it says, Moses lifted up a song and it says, I will sing to the Lord for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. Miriam picks it up and, and the ladies, the daughters of of Israel, it says, singing with tambourines and dancing. They sing because of a great deliverance, a circumstance. David, when he brings the ark, he sings and he calls and he puts all the singers together. Before that, with the judges, Deborah and Barak, when they had deliverance from the Philistines, they sang a song before all Israel and danced. So significant was the singing on special occasions and circumstances that when the people of God forgot... And under King Hezekiah, they rediscovered in the, in the sanctuary vaults, so to speak. They rediscovered that David had instituted singers and musicians, and they had forgotten all about them. That, and they had been feast days that they had neglected, and they set about in Hezekiah's day, and they established a feast. And they established singers, and the whole congregation, it says, sang to the Lord with all of their might. Even after they're judged, and they go over and the Syrian are brought back with Ezra and Nehemiah, it says that they established the singers in Jerusalem again. They established the musicians, and they had a day of singing and giving thanks to God, and the congregation again sang with all of their might. God expects us to sing because of the circumstances when He delivers us, and He rescues us, and He rewards us, and He blesses us. God says, sing with joy. Sing with joy. Now, it's not only circumstances like that, but it's also conflict. I think there's a really interesting verse here in 2 Chronicles 20. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. This is called the, the front. The front of this army were singers. And say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah, so that they were routed. What a battle plan. God says, I'm going to wage war, and the first thing I want you to do as you strap on your swords is I want you to send the singers out front. Defenseless musicians who couldn't hold the sword, they can carry that lute, lyre, and guitar, but boy, don't put a sword in their hands. Right? These artists. Man. But let him go out in front of the army singing. That's the battle plan. And God brings about victory. We noticed that when a couple summers ago when we looked at Jericho and the fall of Jericho. Fundamentally that was an institution of worship and praise warfare in which God destroyed a city because of the praises of his people. God expects circumstances for us to give praise and for us to sing praises. And he expects that when we face conflicts even... Even when there's battle and wars and there's temptations and there's discouragements and there's assaults upon your faith, 
One of the battle strategies is for you not only to strap on the Word of God and to look at Scripture and not only to seek counsel and not only to pray, but to go singing in the midst of battle. Go sing over the trouble. I'll never forget the time when I had left our church that I had helped plan. I didn't know what the Lord had for me. I was in a time of depression and discouragement, and I went to worship services all over the city. I went to things like we're going to do next Wednesday on a regular basis, and I would go, and it's loud, and it's people are lifting their hands and praising and worship, and I would sing with them, and I sometimes would walk at the back of the pew, banging on the pew, saying, Lord, I ask you to help me. Lord, you said if you ask, you receive. Lord, you said if you knock, it will be open. Lord, if you seek, you'll find. Lord, give me guidance, and I'd sing, and then I'd sing the song and say, Lord, I'm a sing, and I'm a walk in victory. I don't see clearly, but I believe you have something in store, and that's fighting a war and a battle. God expects singing to be a part of it. What a tremendous, startling emphasis. Well, let's ask this question then, why we don't sing? Why don't we sing? Not only is our culture moved in a different direction, manly heroes, the ones we're to look up to are to be gritty and raw. They're not necessarily to be vulnerable singers. But why don't we sing in the church when there's so much emphasis here? And I want to suggest a couple ideas that won't necessarily, there, there could be some other ones, but I want to suggest some that I think are, are pretty broad, would apply to many people. I think the first is this, a fear of being strange. A fear of being strange. None of us want to be oddballs. None of us want to be kooks. We don't want to be weirdos. Here's, what, here's some of the names the church of God has been called. We've been called uh, Holy Rollers. We've been called Bible thumpers. Who wants to be that? Who wants to be psalm singers is what they've been called. Psalm singers, those psalm singers. People who believe it was fundamental to their faith to sing these words. We don't like to be on the outside. We are of a generation and an age in which we avoid conflict, which we are pursuing of peace, which is good. And so we talk about in our culture today, in the church culture, about lifestyle evangelism, where you win people to the Lord because you are easy to get along with. And so they talk about the winsome Christian, W-I-N-S-O-M-E, the winsome Christian, the Christian who, when you're around them, all you can do, you just can't help but smile. They're so nice, and they're so cheerful, and they're so fun to be around. I think the dilemma, even though there's a lot of truth in it, I think the dilemma is this. You can't get away from being weird if you're a believer in Jesus. Think of what we do once a month. We eat the body of Jesus and drink His blood. We say in order to be a Christian, you've got to get dunked underwater. Not necessarily to be saved, but as a reflection of that, come on and join the church. We'll dunk you first. We'll try to kill you before you can join us. That's just a little strange. We believe God is three persons that exist in one being. Don't ask me what it means, but that's what we believe. We believe a lot of strange things, but I think it makes us very uncomfortable. And when our culture says that singing is no longer the popular or the hero thing to do, we also have closed our mouths. And so we have become a people unaccustomed to singing. We are afraid of being strange Weirdos, wackos. We are also, I think, afraid, fearful of being vulnerable. Because I thought to myself, if it was just the fear of being strange, 
then why wouldn't, once you get into your closet and you do your devotions and you read and you pray, you just sing with all your heart's content? Well, occasionally that happens here and then. But isn't this the reality? That you're just as uncomfortable singing by yourself as you are in front of a bunch of other people? I think people are just as uncomfortable singing by themselves. So I don't think it's just an issue of what other people think of us. I think that something happens in singing. When we lift our voice in singing, we expose ourselves. We open up places in our hearts to vulnerability. And that makes us uncomfortable. That makes us a little nervous. That makes us so much so that we will criticize ourselves. And if you have the determination, I am going to go and I am going to sing in my closet. I haven't been doing that. And you're going to sing, oh, it's probably going to sound awful because you're going to be so hesitant and you're going to sing almost in a a whisper because you just can't really commit to the vocalization and getting it out there because it's so challenging even to our own ears. I think we have a fear of being vulnerable. But ultimately, I think it's rooted in something else, which uh, I I mentioned this to somebody uh, this last week and they said, I don't understand what you're trying to say. But I'm going to do my best to be persuasive here. I think we have a fear of being happy. I think we have a fear of being happy. First, let me say this. You can't sing without getting happy. You can't do it. It is, well, I mean, if you really tried, maybe you could commit yourself to it. I will sing and stay angry the whole time. Okay, you might be able to successfully pull that off. But under normal conditions and circumstances, if you're going to sing, you are going to begin to feel joy. You're going to begin to feel cheerful. You're going to begin to give praise to God. Your circumstances that wait upon you are going to lighten and lift a bit. You're going to trust. You're going to be able to move through life more easily. It's just fundamental to the nature of seeing that it is a response of joy and it is a creator of joy. It's called in the scriptures a sacrifice of praise. To make a sacrifice and offering, we often don't feel like praising, but if you commit to praising, you will begin to feel better. And so I think that what happens is that we know that, and we prefer to be grumpy. I believe that we prefer to be a little irritable, a little impatient, a little out of sorts, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, We live in a highly productive culture, a culture that values us based upon our productivity. And what we find in life is that if you're a bit edgy, you get more things done. You're a little sharper with people. You can tell your kids no a lot easier if you're in a bad mood, right? If you're happy, who knows how many people may take advantage of you. You may be given yes all down the road and think, what am I doing? I gave the farm away. I was so happy today. We realize that if we keep a little bit of edge of irritation, we're going to be on the ball, we're going to get things done, we're going to be cutting costs, expanding revenue, getting our to-do list checked off, because I don't have any time to smell the roses, they're just a distraction, i got three more boxes to check off today. We are productive, irritable, and I think we have found ourselves successful at. Second, we live with a constant low-grade guilt fever as people. Even as Christian people, I don't think there's a person in here who doesn't trust in Jesus who still feels a sense of awkwardness. I sure hope this is going to work out when I die. 
Paul said, and we can say it, I know whom I believe. I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed to him. Nevertheless, you and I have not passed through that door quite yet. And it's unclear what's on the other side of it. Death is still frightening and a little bit uncertain. And when we have our sins that rear up and cast guilt and shame upon us, the last thing we want to do is go jump around and have people think of us as happy. Don't you know if I did something bad, I need to live in the doghouse for just a while in proportion to the sins I commit. And so I think we have a constant low-grade guilt fever that is always telling us you don't really have a right to be happy You would be better served, it would fit your Christian condition better if you moped a little bit all the time. Now, there's obviously some personalities that are bent towards the cheerful side, but I don't think we're really talking about personality issues here. I think when it comes to Scripture and God says, I want you to sing, He's talking to all the personalities. I think He's talking to the first service introverts as well as all you who come with a big group. I think he's talking to both. I think it's hard to sing whether you're introverted or extroverted in our culture today. I think it's hard to be happy whether you're introverted or extroverted. In fact, I've been able to have some good friendships with a few extroverts. And as you poke beneath the surface, you know what I found? In fact, the bigger the extrovert, oh boy, I don't know if I should say this. I think, we're qualifying this, this gets an asterisk in the notes. I think the bigger the extrovert, the more insecurity is underneath. I have met tremendously outgoing extroverts, but when you get in public, they have a lot more going on that they weren't telling you as an extroverted, cheerful person on the outside. In fact, it's surprising the number of extroverts who struggle with depression. The most cheerful, smiling, outgoing, upbeat people are often internally struggling with discouragement. I don't think singing has to do with temperaments. I, don't, I think everybody has a fear of being happy. It doesn't quite fit, and we. but I think that's why we don't sing. All right, I'm going to go on. Oh, let me say one more thing. If you ever get a chance to read From Prison to Praise... Carruthers is his name. I don't remember his first name. From prison to praise. A man wrote a book 30 years ago. He was in prison for something. I don't even remember what. But he began to practice praising. Singing out loud and speaking praise. I praise you, Lord. Just through life. Just through his days. Continuous. Singing. When an opposition came, whether it was parole or whether it was a job after he got out, and it was not making headway, he began to learn to offer praise in the face of it. War, that's what we were talking about, from prison to praise. Tremendous story. Not a Zig Ziglar personality. But nevertheless, he found that he was delivered from a prison of negative attitudes and thoughts to a victorious cheerfulness that began to go in life with him. From prison to praise. Great little, for you non-readers, about a 60-page book. Okay, last one. Why we should sing. Now, I know that this is a really long list, and I know half of you or a quarter of you said, oh, Pastor Mike, you've got a lot of words here. I'm just going to read all these scriptures, because I'm going to tell you this is God's fault, not mine. There's a lot of blanks here, but that's because there's a lot of verses about singing. I cut out most of them. All right. Why we should sing. I want to read these to you. I want to go through these with a comment here and there. 
I don't want to read a bunch of scripture. I don't want to frankly overwhelm you. And I want at the end of this service you to say, my goodness, God wants me to sing. I think that's the conclusion I'm going to take. God wants me to sing. Why should we sing? First, singing as a feeling. We sing because of the way we feel, and we sing in order to feel appropriately. The blessing of him, Job 29, who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Psalm 105, so he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. Psalm 92, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. You know what I think is going to be so funny? This is what I've noticed myself, and then I'm going to say it about you too. We're going to talk about singing here for the next 10 minutes and a bunch of verses, and joy is going to be mentioned so many times, and we are going to leave, and none of us are going to want to be that happy. I want to challenge you, and our closing song is this today, How Can I Keep From Singing? This is the song, because I want you to ask this question after we read all these verses. Is God saying to you, I want you to sing for joy? Because I told the Lord this, Lord, I started to say, I want to become like this. Then I stopped, because I didn't really want to pray that. Then I said, so Lord, what I really want is I want, to become, I want to be this way. I'm afraid of the process to get there, though. So here's what I'll tell you, Lord. I don't have the courage to say, make me singing all the time. I don't have the courage to do it. I want to be that. But I have the courage to say, Lord, would you get me another step closer in the next little bit here? Would you take me down this path, even against my own stubbornness, As I was reading this verse, I looked out and one of your faces had a frown. And that's what made me say this, because I thought, you know what? It is hard to be happy. All right, you got to hear these verses. Singing as feeling. Second, singing as knowing. We sing because we learn about God, we know God, and we sing in order to know God. Psalm 21, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. There's something being learned. We will sing and praise your power. Psalm 32, sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. What's the new, why a new song? Because you've learned more about God. Psalm 59, but I will sing of your strength, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. Psalm 71, I will also praise you with a harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O holy one of Israel. Psalm 101, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. Revelation 14, 3, And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures. Knowing God will not stop when you get to heaven. You will continue to know and grow in knowledge of Him forever and ever and ever, and you will make more and more songs to sing to Him because of what you learn about Him. And so would you know Him more? Sing songs. Singing as seeing. 1 Corinthians 14. This is a tough one, but we've got to mention it. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. This is the context, and Paul is talking about speaking tongues in the church and the confusion that was being caused. And he says, listen, this is a real thing. And I want you to know there is a place for praying and singing in which your mind doesn't know what's happening. And there's a place for praying and singing in which your mind does know. And I want to suggest that singing is a way of seeing God that transcends theological truths or rational uh, conceptions of who God is. It transcends what your mind can grasp and know about God. God is not just grasped by what you think. 
But there is a spirit inside of us that is able to perceive God and to actually see Him. And there's something mysterious and something not knowable about this. But Paul says, look, I'm going to pray in both ways. I'm going to pray thinking about Him, and I'm going to pray without thinking about Him and my spirit rejoicing in Him. Psalm 100, verse 2, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. He's not talking about read a theological book with singing. He's not talking about take an educational class and learn about Him and singing. He's talking about coming into His presence where He's invisible. These eyes cannot see, but the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your spirit are able to perceive that this invisible God is here for us today. That is a part of singing. Singing as seeing. Singing as believing. Believing. Then they believed His word, Psalm 106. They sang His praise. Zechariah 2, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. God says, I'm going to come and be with you. Will you believe it? And sing as a result. I've mentioned this before. One of the uh, little analogies that I use personally in life situations, whether 30 seconds, 30 seconds, uh, 30 minutes, or whatever the time, short or long, uh, is praise. I pee, present myself to God, whatever I'm in, whether I'm struggling, whether I'm happy, whether I'm mad. I raise my hand and open up a physical gesture of an openness of heart. I A, I accept the good news that God has given His life for me and I'll take it. I, I invite the Holy Spirit to bring this life of Jesus in me in the circumstances that I'm in, that I might walk in a way that pleases Him. And S, I speak or sing praise before E, entering the moment of life again. But speaking and singing praise, let me tell you, is the hardest part of that entire phrase there. Because many, many times I can work my way through and I can embrace and believe the gospel again, I can invite the Holy Spirit, but then when it comes to the point of singing or speaking praise, I don't want to do it. Because I'm still upset about the thing that I was confessing earlier. And while I said I believed the good news, I didn't really believe it enough to rejoice in it. I didn't believe it enough to go with cheerfulness again, with a lightened heart. I'm telling you, it is not easy to believe the good news. And singing forces your hand at times. I dare you, says God, to believe this, that I'm for you. And you say, okay, God, I'll believe it. And he says, okay, then sing it to me. (laughs) Sing it with all of your might. Sing it loud. Sing it cheerfully. You say, I'll trust in you. Good, then sing it. I don't want to. I want to stay all tensed up and nervous. Believing, singing as believing, singing as trusting. Psalm 57, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. My heart is steadfast, Psalm 108, O God, I will sing and make melody with all my being. You know, when I uh, was in the urgent care, uh, it was too painful to sing, to be honest with you. I couldn't uh, get that many rational thoughts together. As I sat in the chair, kind of banging my head against the wall, waiting for the urgent care doctor, trying to... I actually heard myself whimper. (laughs) But I prayed, and I said, while this was happening, I said, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. And that was a tremendous thing. I don't like to trust. I'd rather be dependent upon me. There's something about trusting that is a good thing. Singing builds, reflects, and then builds trust. 
Singing as desiring, Psalm 84, 2, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. There's something in singing that rouses the desires and the hopes for heaven and the presence of God to be free of the things and the sins that so weighed us down and the conflicts of life, the adversities and difficulties. And when we sing, we are brought up to the very, the very courts of heaven, almost to where we can peek in over the gates and see the joy of glory. And our hearts burn within us for a desire to be with God. And so we sing as a result, but it's often singing that brings us there. Singing brings us to desiring and great hope. Singing as strength. Singing as strength. The scriptures say the joy of the Lord is my strength. Exodus 15 says the Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation, Psalm 118. Isaiah 12, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Singing strengthens you in your training for God. And this string, singing as fighting. We already read the passage where they went out to war. Singing as healing. Acts 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. The backstory to that is they were beaten and bloodied. They were beaten and bloodied and thrown into prison. So if you today were pulled over and for no reason beaten by the police and thrown into prison, would you sing out loud? Would you sing hymns and songs of praise at around maybe, say, midnight, like Paul and Silas? Maybe he was a night person, I don't know. But he was singing, and I believe there were songs of healing. I think in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, he was making a conscious choice, him and Silas both, to sing praise to God in the midst of that, and it brings healing to their own souls, plus to what it did to the jailers and the other prisoners. Singing as gratitude. Psalm 13, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 30, sing praise to the Lord, O you as saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Singing as revealing. 2 Samuel 22, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Psalm 57, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Psalm 89, I will sing of the steadfast of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. And this is the one that gets me the most of this. Psalm 138, I give, thanks, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. Before the watching heavenly spirits of angelic beings, I sing that it might be revealed amongst the nations, the generations, and the cosmos, and the angels, and the angelic spirits, that you alone are God. You are to be praised, singing as revealing God. Singing as exalting. Psalm 47, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to your king, sing praises. Psalm 47, for the God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Psalm 62, sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Psalm 68, sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. And Psalm 98, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Part of our problem is we have forgotten our place in the world, and we've risen up to be gods over the earth. We believe the temptation that we could rule our lives. We became enslaved instead, and we forget 
who God is, and singing exalts Him and puts Him in His place and puts us in ours with joy. Singing as offerings, sing to Him, sing praises to Him, tell of all His wondrous works. There's something beautiful about this passage. It's not sing to the Lord like is so frequent to David's things, but sing to Him. Almost as if a child, go sing to your father. Go sing like a husband and wife might at a wedding ceremony. Someone might sing to their spouse. Or if you tuck your child into bed, the intimacy of singing to, your, to another person. He says, go sing to God. Sing to God. It's an offering that you can give to Him of yourself in vulnerability that you might sing to Him. Singing as satisfying. It is good, Psalm 92, to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. It is good. Psalm 135, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. Psalm 147, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. It is satisfying to sing to God. Singing as serving. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. This is an invitation from one of you to another of you. Oh, come, let us, he says. Sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. We're told even in our passage of Colossians 3 here that we're to be singing to one another. What I find so interesting about that verse, especially the one in Ephesians where it says, addressing one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Nobody really knows what all that means, the songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it's difficult to understand even what it is to address one another. Because I don't think Paul means that we're to walk around town saying, Oh, Brother Joe, how are you today? I don't, I don't think that's what he's getting at here. I think the context indicates, though, that he said right before that verse, he said, Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, let me ask you a question. When people consume just a little too much, do they become a little more reserved or a little more outgoing? Okay, when they, when they consume a little too much, do they talk less or do they talk a little bit more? Do they become a little more inhibited or a little more... Uh, unabashed. If they had a secret that they were keeping from you, would they withhold it after drinking or would they be inclined to spill the beans? I think what Paul is saying that, look, when people are drinking too much, they cross a line that becomes unhealthy, but one of the things that takes place is they lose their inhibition and they're blabbing around everything, talking to anybody and everybody, and that's a good thing. But do it filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so that life is gushing from you to one another all the time, more than anybody can handle, so that you are around your brothers and sisters and you say, man, that person is full of life. I'm encouraged after being with that person. Address one another filled with life by the Holy Spirit, singing as serving, singing as obeying. And we get to the last one. If none of this makes sense, well, you have the bare command here of God himself. An evil man, Proverbs 29, is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. Zephaniah 3, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. You are the daughters of Jerusalem. You that follow and believe in Jesus. And you are called by God to sing to sing. Singing is obeying. And then the last thing is this, and we can have the worship team come forward. We're going to close with the song, and I want to do this last one. Singing is grace. Why should we sing? There's tremendous pictures painted in the scriptures about what God has done for us. Isaiah 44 says, sing, O heavens. 
Sing, O heaven, says God, for the Lord has done it. He's done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forests, and every tree. Why? For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. This is you, brothers and sisters. The Lord has redeemed you and he calls upon the whole earth to sing as a, re- as a result because of what he's done in your life. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Bring, break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people. As he brings you comfort, and it says he will have compassion on his afflicted, he says to sing and rejoice. But the one that I think is the most astounding of all the verses about singing in the Bible is Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. The Lord your God is in your midst. We, we are gathered here like ancient Israel, not with a tabernacle. Thankfully, we don't have to kill a goat or a bull. We have a living Savior who has shed blood for us that no more sacrifices are needed. There's not priests and singers. You're all priests and kings and singers yourselves, but there's the assembling of the saints together here, and you're a part of that assembly. You're the people of God. And he says, the Lord... God is in your midst. He's here today. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And then listen to this last phrase. He will exult over you with loud singing. Let's just state that in in our language today. Do you realize... When it comes to seeing what God is saying is that he is, exult- he is triumphing over you with loud singing. I know that you came here to sing praises to God, and we did, and we'll sing one more. We're singing to him, but did you know he's been singing over you this morning? He's singing over you tomorrow. He sang over you yesterday, whether you realize it or not. And it isn't just singing a song out of reluctance, but with loud, triumphant, exulting over you. He has triumphed in the name of Jesus to transform your life and make you a new person. And he is singing over you. That is grace. That is good news. And it is in that spirit that he comes to you and says, be a people. Train yourself for godliness and learn to sing. Learn to sing in the congregation. Learn to sing in your closet by yourself. Learn to sing continuously in all of your life. Learn to sing in every circumstances, even the greatest conflicts you face. Face them like war with a song of triumph. And I want to ask you, how will you hear the overwhelming, I, God, have read a hundred verses to you this morning. A hundred verses that God says, I want you to sing. One point to the whole sermon, I want you to sing. I want to ask you how you're going to respond to that. The last song we're singing is, How Can I Keep From Singing? It's a response. I want to ask you, how will you keep from singing? Let's go ahead and stand together and we'll sing this final hymn.